Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to this episode 18 of season five of this Spiritual Fix. Today, we are going to be talking about spiritual awakening pitfalls, as well as I geek out on some higher dimensional allies. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hey, Christina. Hello, Anna. How are you today? I am good. I've had a little bit of coffee. Just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) You don't normally drink coffee, do you? I don't. I don't. But why did you drink it today? I don't know. I've just been like really energetic and for some reason wanting to be more energetic, which doesn't really make any sense. But like I've been doing. Oh, is it your PMEF map? I'm sure it's my PMEF map, my pulse electromagnetic frequency mat, field mat. It is helping. Though the, the, we're doing it for our dogs, our dog tours cruciate ligament. And I swear it's, it's not getting any better, but it may just take some time. So. He loves getting on it. He gets on it every night, like voluntarily gets on it every night. So it must be doing something for him. But yeah. Is it a full tear or a partial tear? I think it was a partial tear at first. I think it may be a full tear now. So maybe we'll talk about that offline, Anna, if you have any (laughs) tricks for full tears. So what are we talking today about in our prelude? Today we're talking about the dark night of the soul or rock bottom, as others may call it. Yes. Do tell. Do tell. So I have this great quote. Someone attributes it to, I think, the Beatles, someone in the Beatles, or I don't know who they attribute this quote to, but this is a quote that many of us have heard. It's from Vine Deloria Jr., although I've heard it attributed to others. And it says, religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell. Spirituality is for those who've been there. (laughs) And I feel like that's really, really appropriate. Yes. And, you know, I was reading this book. And it was about this person. Well, it doesn't matter. But the point is, in the book, this white woman is complaining about this thing that happened to her homosexual black best friend. And he's like, wait just a minute there. Nothing bad has ever happened to you, has it? (laughs) Because like the thing she was complaining (laughs) about was so, you know, as they say, first word, huh? It's a terrible and true. Yeah. It's like not Terribly, even a, like you're just having to to feel sorry for other people, but nothing bad's happened to you. So your stories are about the terrible things that have happened to other people. No, no, no. She was basically, he was saying like, the thing you're complaining about is so stupid is, oh. is basically is he was, he was minimizing her pain and suffering. He was like, clearly nothing bad has ever happened to you. Cause it's like, this is, this is what you're upset about, you know? And yeah. it, it's kind of like, you know, when people are like, oh, first world problems. But but the thing is, is that everybody's rock bottom is relative. Okay. So like some people have a very high pain tolerance or suffering tolerance and others don't. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with habituation. Like there was a recent study that said period pain is as painful as heart attack pain. But we as women are taught to just like go about our days and just continue on. And Tampax commercials are like everyone's, you know, smiling while they play tennis through this. 
And I think that it's, it's being, being habitually exposed to pain makes your tolerance for pain higher. And I think that's true of like suffering. So a lot of people, you know, like during the pandemic, people would complain to me about things that I, I couldn't wrap my head around ever complaining about. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, nothing bad has ever happened to them before. Like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to them was like isolation or whatever. But then I had to like, I had to like reframe it and be like, well, it's not, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think we put hierarchies on other people's suffering. And as Buddha says, the haves and the have nots equally suffer. Yes. I, I would totally agree with that because it's a it's a supremacy thing to be like your suffering is worse than mine. I think that when you put justice into it and you put like this idea of like if people are being harmed as a result of a complete lack of compassion for other people, then we need to alleviate that. But when it comes to anybody's own solipsistic individual experience with suffering, like that is theirs, that is their their burden to kind of go through right and like if you ultimately if everything worked the way we would hope it would work and we hear that it works in like religious scripture so to speak not like christian but like is that people go through suffering and then they rise above it and then they become altruistic so that they help other people through their suffering and then it just becomes this really beautiful system where all the people who've been through suffering then go and help other people right but it doesn't really work like that the, well, the term the dark night of the soul comes from actually 15, the 1500s from, I didn't know this, from the Spanish mystic John of the Cross. Did you know about this? I and, did not know about this. Do tell. And, well, anyways, he was a member of the Carmelite religious order, which he was trying to reform, which got him imprisoned. And in there, he comprised a poem called the dark night of the soul, which went on to become like a, a song and that's where this whole the whole term you know dark night of soul comes from it's basically requires a spiritual response and not just a therapeutic response to remain in the present and to basically recover from your dark night which is you know other people can call it the rock bottom and people who have experienced addiction know very much about rock bottom because some people will say that rock bottom is your gift because it's what puts you in AA or it's, it's, it's what propels you towards a spiritual awakening is hitting rock bottom. Yep. And I wanted to just say like some of the signs that you've hit rock, rock bottom, according to the American addiction center website. Okay. Experiencing a serious health crisis, like hospitalization, injury, or overdose trouble with the law being fired because of substance abuse losing custody of your child or children, divorce or breakup, utter lack of control over everything, including the substance abuse, feeling hopeless that nothing works, feeling that there was no escape anymore, feeling discouraged and demoralized. And so those are some signs of hitting rock bottom. But again, I think it's like, it differs from person to person. That's more addiction based. Sorry, I'm not probably being global here because that wasn't more of an addiction thing but i think like most people hit the rock bottom whether it's you know they're in a religion and then they just can't stand you know x or y or hypocrisy or whatever and then they all everyone hits their own version of rock bottom that propels them towards a spiritual change in life i mean i think almost all suffering very few people that i had know who have been on a spiritual path ever got there because life was all fine and dandy, except for maybe Suzanne Raja, <laughs> you know, but like most people, they don't get on the spiritual path because I would, I, everything is yeah, easy. Yeah, I would agree. And I would also say that Suzanne Raja didn't always have it easy because she, you know, got kicked out of Jamaica because her dad was like threatened. Like he was a major power player in Jamaica and she oh, had to go that. into asylum in Canada because her her family was threatened. And then her father basically went from being like this head honcho in Jamaica to being like a janitor in Canada. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so with the dark night of the soul, like, why do you think it's necessary to go through the dark night of the soul? I have a thought, but what's your thought? Well, some people say you can't know up without knowing down. You can't know light without knowing dark. Okay. Here's my theory. (laughs) This is my theory. Yes. When you give birth, if for anyone who's 
given birth, they tell you it hurts. Like TV says it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. If you take away the fact that it, it hurts and you just see it like it's intense, it's intense. And it's not that it hurts. It's that it's intense. It's because it's forcing you to be in the present moment. But of course, I'm talking right now about healthy, normal, natural birth. I'm not talking about extenuating circumstances where the pain is there for an important reason, right? Yeah. When you actually have a health crisis, like you're, yeah. 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 Just want to put that out there. That's really important. Thank you. So when you experience labor contractions, which people call labor pains, which I don't like, But when you experience labor contractions, it's very intense. You have to stop everything you're doing and close your eyes and be present in that moment. It's because Mm -hmm. reality has got to make you completely 100% in your body for this experience, right? Because it's an extremely important experience. So life has to make it intense. And if you aren't paying attention, you will perceive intensity as pain. This is my theory that, that, Intensity is a gift to wake up. And if you don't pay attention, you will perceive it as pain. And so I think that with the dark night of the soul, you were going through these experiences and we're labeling them pain, just like we can label labor pain, but it's really just an intense way of waking up. Just like labor puts you, nothing puts you in the present moment like a labor or like an orgasm, you know, like the things that are intense, (laughs) I can't even believe you said that. You're just so fucking brilliant. You just totally channeled something I was going to say and like helped me clarify something I'm saying later in this episode. So yes, I completely agree. Yes, that's awesome. So, and then, you know, like one of my mantras has always been, I learn my lessons easily and effortlessly because I want to learn these lessons. Trust me. I know life is a playground and I want to learn what I can learn, but like, please let them come easily and effortlessly. I've gone through the whole, it is as difficult as possible and quote painful as possible before. Like, I don't want that. I want to like be more aware so I can let intensity come without it having to be painful. Yes. Yes. That is, that's awesome. That's, that's fantastic. One of the things I was talking to you about earlier too was like, We've never talked about alchemy on the thing, because this is like my theory about the dark night of the soul, is that the experience of, so in alchemy, there are seven steps and those seven steps create the philosopher's stone. And so like you can technically do a science experiment, you know, to try and turn lead into, into the elixir of life or lead into gold, but it's actually an al it's a spiritually alchemical process, right? So basically you have all these different steps, you have conjunction and dissolution and calcification or excuse me, calcination. And you have like, you have a, a lot of these different steps and they are all technically chemical steps. It's one of the reasons I became a chemist was because I would rather become an alchemist, but they didn't have that as a college degree. But the experience that the dark night of the soul is, is, is the most similar to fermentation and fermentation is this really deep, dark process in which basically you put everything into this big stew, right? So it's the creation of sulfur in an actual chemical experiment, like in a chemical yielding process, but it is the process of basically putting in the products that would create sulfur. And you just have to sit there and wait. And like, what will happen is that people have to make a choice to either step out of the dark night of their soul to like come off of rock bottom and actually create the product of fermentation, which is like the sulfur, this like beautiful yellow. It's like literally from this like black stew comes this like beautiful, perfect, like salt, like yellow product. It's like a completely different product. And it's just like blooms forth from this like slurry, this black soupy slurry, or it doesn't work. And it just sits there and the person stays in the dark night of their soul. And, you know, slowly wanes kind of from, from engagement within their own life. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing because it is a very potent transformative soul transformation tool within alchemy is the dark night of the soul. I love that. Yeah. Did you want to say anything more about the dark night of the soul? Cause it lends so perfectly with what we're talking about today. No, I guess I just want to no. I guess there's not much to say, but just to say like everyone has their own dark night. And if you are thinking about self-harm when you're in your dark night, please get help because 
I love this saying, don't create a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And there is no dark night of the soul that is permanent, even though it feels like it is. Yeah. And also to recognize too, like I, I talk to my clients about this a lot is the fact that when people get into a place, that's the dark night of the soul, they, you know, if we want to think about it in terms of autonomic nervous system regulation, right. Is that like immobilized is like the process of like not coming out of fermentation. It's just like the process of going into grief and depression and freeze, right. Where you're just like, you're frozen. Like you haven't come out of it. And alternatively in the mobilized state, like when you're in that dark night, you're either going to go into fight, right? So you're going to try and like fight out of this, you know, either fight with it or doing something like that or flight. And a lot of the times in our minds and the way that our existing, our world exists right now, flight can look like suicidal ideation, right? Because you just want to escape And sometimes if you feel like you cannot physically escape, you want to escape and like, you can't physically leave a situation, you know, your, your body tries another form of flight, which, which can look like suicidal ideation. So, yeah, cool. All right. So love it. What we're doing today is we're going to talk about higher dimensional allies and the reason that this, this, I'm going to give you guys like a little bit of feedback as to what this was. And I'm also going to give you a warning that like, if you liked the episode, the art of war, this is probably going to be a little bit like that. Cause we're going to kind of get into some philosophy. We're going to talk about Aristotle, but then we're also going to end the episode with some like really practical things about pitfalls of spiritual awakening. Because I think it's really important to recognize that there are a lot of really ecstatic states that you can reach when you are in a spiritual awakening, when you've been in, in other words, when you are exposed to a new higher dimension. And it's really important that when you're in that new state, like you recognize it for what it is and you enjoy it, but you don't like cling to it and kind of become become this like kind of state where you're just like, you know, like there's a thing going around on TikTok on witch talk right now about like the most powerful witch in North America, this person kind of claiming that super entity attachments. But, you know, it just reminds me of that, right? Where this person's like, it's a, like a form of spiritual psychosis where they're just like, yes, I am the most this. The, the best thing about that entire drama is the fact that like, there are so many witches who are just like, no, I am the most powerful witch in North America. And it's like, everyone's trying to one up each other and just like, just treat it as absolutely ridiculous, but it's really fun. It started a couple of years ago and even longer, but we're not going to get into that. We're going to get into how it manifested into this episode that you're hearing right now. So we have an... Uh, we have an understanding at TSF that like we have a multi-dimensional world. And when we talk about multi-dimensional, I feel like there's a number of different things that we're talking about. I think oftentimes we're talking about uh, what I've heard some people recall to as strands, as in like the different timelines, the different strands of your reality, right? And I'm not talking about that in this particular case, right? So, so kind of just so you know and have reference, when I'm talking about multidimensional in this case, I'm like harken back to your like math classes that you had back in when you were in high school or maybe like middle school where they're like zero, you know, zero degree reality is nothingness. And then first degree reality is a line that separates two things. And second degree, you know, second, second dimension, the second dimension is a square and the third dimension is a cube and the fourth dimension is time. And we're also not going to get into the fact that there are actually like closer to 12 spatial dimensions. We're, we're gonna, not going to get super far into physics in this, but the idea is I just want to give you guys that basis for this conversation, which is that, you know, everybody talks about dimensions as if they're like, oh, I'm a fourth dimensional being. I'm a fifth dimensional being. I'm a sixth. It like, like that is a wonderful thing. And it's a really kind of, it's a good way for you to identify with people in a certain way so that you can like say, Hey, this is what fifth dimensional thing is. This is what six dimensional is. And I've been studying this in so many different ways, whether it was in the Bible, whether it was in math, like I've just been, it's been a bit of an exuberance and a a manic subject for me. So you can kind of hear that in my voice right now. But the idea is that I have been exploring recently, like, what is it that represents higher dimensional reality? Like what's, what's a theory for what represents higher dimensional reality and how can we use that as our allies, right? Because 
you know, we would love to say that we are like sixth, seventh, eighth dimensional beings. But if we like right now, we're can sometimes aspire to that, but actually there are ways that we can use that, those realities as like allies for ourselves without having to necessarily like be in them all to, all the time or experience the pitfalls of connecting with them. So going back a little while ago, I saw a TikTok from a guy and we'll put it in the show notes in which he was talking about how the only thing that can travel backwards in time is hope. And I was like, what? This is really, really interesting. What is he talking about? And because it reminds me of the movie Interstellar, which I'm going to get to after I kind of do this explanation. Okay. Archangel Michael's telling me I should do it now. And so with hope traveling backwards through time, it got me thinking of this idea that in Interstellar, for that, for those of you who haven't seen that movie, I'm going to give you guys like a basic synopsis. And yes, this contains spoiler for the 10-year-old movie Interstellar, in case you haven't seen it. <laughs> okay. So the basic idea is that Earth is dying at the beginning of this. The, the blights, which are nitrogen-loving bacteria, are basically destroying all plant life and starving and suffocating everybody who's on Earth. With the idea that even now our environment, our atmosphere is 80% nitrogen, right? It's only 20% oxygen and it's kind of been decreasing and decreasing over years. So it's actually really well suited for blight and not for us. And we come to this understanding that there is this father and his daughter and they are getting visited by something that is using gravity to communicate with them. Right. So whether it's in, you know, hex code or whether it's in Morse code, they're getting all the, all in this daughter's bedroom, they're getting all sorts of signs in the form of gravity. And they end up kind of going on this journey and ending up at the, the, the version of NASA, which is a complete secret in this future, you know, apocalyptic state in which, you know, like people can barely survive and people can barely eat. So why would there ever be NASA? Because a wormhole has has basically been identified in space and had been identified 50 years ago that was out near Saturn. And it's becoming apparent that somebody is looking out for humans. Somebody is looking out for humans. They're, they are multidimensional beings, or, or as we would say, higher dimensional beings using the, the terminology we're using today. And they're kind of reaching back to try and help the humans actually leave Earth. And kind of what ends up happening at the climax of this is that they start talking about how they are needing to try and find a planet that they can end up on. And they're trying to decide between this one planet and this other planet. And the Anne Hathaway is like one of the, the people who's actually in the ship. And she's explaining, she's like, hey, I really want to go to this one planet and the other guy's like, yeah, but you only want to go to that planet because you're in love with that person who's on that planet and, you know, you just want to be with them. And she's like, I have a problem with the fact that you don't think that maybe love exists in a higher dimension, that love exists in a place and it's able to travel through space and time in a very different way because it's a different dimensional substance. And so the fact that I want to go to that planet you say it's just an emotional response, but maybe it's actually, you know, the future or these, these beings actually pulling us towards the planet that we're supposed to go to. Like, why are you saying that the fact that I love this person is the only reason I want to go, but maybe the fact that I love this person is the exact reason that we're supposed to be going right with this idea that like these higher dimensional beings are reaching out using love. Right. And then shortly after that, the same thing happens to the main character who was doubting this, right? Is that he recognizes he gets, he basically willingly voluntarily goes into a black hole to sacrifice himself. And he finds his daughter's bedroom, his daughter's bedroom inside of this black hole. It's basically a tesseract, which is a fifth dimensional space that you call it fifth dimensional or higher dimensional space in which time is a physical dimension, right? Like you can, if you, if you go climb over that mountain, you're going to get to yesterday. And if you go climb over that hill, you're going to get to tomorrow, right? And it's interesting because he recognizes that he uniquely was the only person who could get, who could go into this Tesseract and get information 
that was like this very important data back to his daughter because he had a connection and a love connection with his daughter. He was the only one who could do it because he had this higher dimensional reality. Like he had this higher dimensional substance of connection with his daughter. And because of that, he was able to get the data and the information to his daughter and she was able to solve the problem of quote unquote gravity, right? So like everything happened because they started to use these higher dimensional powers as their ally to recognize that they were sent there for a reason because they had love connection, right? And that like love is actually like, it, it's an indicator that you're going in the right direction, right? It's like this totally fascinating thing. So that was a really long geeked out explanation. It's trying to be as simple as possible for interstellar, but it kind of sets the framework for what we're talking about today. And this idea of like, what are our higher dimensional allies that we can use? What do you think about that, Anna? I, I didn't know what you were going towards with this thing. Nice, nice. Okay. I think some allies would be love and hope and forgiveness. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. So we're, we can, so your, your votes are love and hope and forgiveness right now. And so we might, so, so let's get into it. All right. So going back to this TikTok that I saw, they used Aristotelian philosophy. That is definitely not the like proper pronunciation of Aristotelian philosophy, but he, they, he, what he talks about is the fact that there are four causes for anything. This is the explanation of why hope is the thing that kind of travels back through time. So in our current physics right now, there is only one cause for everything. It's force equals mass times acceleration, right? So in Newtonian physics and traditional Newtonian physics, the only like law that we have for cause and effect is force equals mass times acceleration, right? So it's the same thing as everything has an equal and opposite force and re like all of those things surround that one equation, which is F equals MA. And you go back 2000 years and you go back to Aristotle and he actually says that there are four causes for change to happen in our world. Okay. So the first of the four is the material cause, which is the mass itself right? So in the equation F equals MA, it's the M. It's basically says material itself is a cause because if you don't have something to move, if you don't have something to change, then it doesn't matter, like, so to speak, haha, unintended, not intended, actually. It doesn't matter like what you're doing if you don't actually have something that you can move, right? The next is what is called the efficient cause, which is basically the person who, the agent of change, right? So if you have a ball and you have somebody hitting a ball, like you have to, that the person hitting the ball is basically the, the agent who is causing the change to happen in whatever it is. And then you have what's called the formal cause, which is like, what is the kind of final result that you're looking at? And then you have the final cause, which is what is referred to in the geekiest of all geeky TikTok corners, which I absolutely love. And obviously outside of that in philosophy, which is teleos, which is teleology, which is all about the reason that you did the thing in the first place. Why did you even hit the ball to make it go to wherever it is? So I'm going to give you a more specific example of what I'm talking about. So take a statue, a statue that's made out of marble. The material cause is the block of marble. The efficient cause is the sculptor of the marble. The formal cause is the end result, which is a statue. And the final cause is the fact that it's going to be used for a memorial. Right? So effectively, the final cause is that is what we call the teleos. It's like it's like, why did you even cause the change in the first place? Like, what was the thing that made you move this? Like, why, why did the change occur at all? And so this TikTok was, the guy who was in this TikTok was postulating the fact that it is hope, the hope of wanting, basically you have this desire to create a memorial. Why do you have this desire to create this memorial? It's because you have hope that it will become a memorial that will become a place in which someone can memorialize a person. 
And because that future state is that what's called that final cause, the hope of it being achieved is what's traveling back in time to prompt the entire thing to happen, to prompt the entire idea of, of getting a piece of marble, getting a sculptor, turning it into a sculpture, and then like putting it out, right? So this all idea. intention comes from hope. Exactly. So exactly. So in this case, the intention comes from hope, the hope of, of something being fulfilled, right? Of like an intention being fulfilled and that that is a fundamental cause of why we do anything, right? And so, you know, if, if, if we like imagine in a world in which hope didn't exist, right? It would be like, it would be like you were kind of going around you're like, I'm going to build this house. And then you're like, but you can't imagine why you're building the house. You can't imagine like, what's the purpose? Like what, you know, like it, it's like, it's one thing to build a house. It's another thing to be like, this is going to be the home, right? And the hope of it becoming the home is what helps propel you forward towards fulfilling it. Like sometimes you just, it's like, I hope that I don't have, I can get out of the rain. Maybe it started off as like, I hope I can get out of the rain, right? And so it's like this hope of what everything is going to become is that formal cause that's traveling back through time and meeting you so that you can fulfill purpose. Does that make sense? Did I explain that clearly? I think so. And then Anna goes, where are you going with this? (laughs) (laughs) So the idea is that we've described so far I described love and connection as kind of like two things that, that like, as like higher dimensional aspects that kind of travel through time. And I've described how like, like purpose, like the purpose of something travels back in time through the, the form of hope, right? So like the, the desire of a final state of a purpose being fulfilled, like that piece of, because ultimately Aristotle went really far into this whole idea that like, if something doesn't fulfill its telios, right? Like if a, you know, if, if a, a bomb doesn't become exploded or a match becomes unlit, like it hasn't fulfilled its telios, like it hasn't, it hasn't reached its final cause, right? Like it, and because it hasn't reached its final cause, it is effectively what, what we would call like a, a fail. Well, I feel like failure is very judgmental, but he would say, <laughs> he would say a match is meant to be sparked like that's why it exists right and so the fact Mm -hmm. that you're seeing it in a point in time in which it just hasn't been sparked yet you know like ultimately everything is going to end up in its final cause right everything's going to end up in its in in that dimensional field in which it's totally fulfilled I'm going to repost some of the TikToks I've been doing on my channel after we post this episode so you can kind of see I talk a lot I'm talking a lot in my TikToks right now about like the different kind of structure of dimensions and what they look like. But I'm not going to emphasize that today for the sake of kind of what we're talking about. I would like instead to kind of look at the things that travel back through time that we can use as indicators that we are we are interacting with higher dimensional powers. And they're kind of like the artifacts of higher dimensions that we can use in order to help guide us when we feel like we're lost. Maybe we feel like our, we're in the dark night of our soul. And so some of these things that we're going to talk about today are first is, is the experience of love, which can also be the experience of, for some people, it's pleasure. It's the sensation of pleasure is love. Love is one of those hard ones because people think, you know, because love can be connection, love can be pleasure, but okay. So we're going to say love in terms of pleasure. We're going to say the feeling of connection which can lead to, which is, which I would argue is tangible, which basically it, but it can also like connection can also travel back in time through excitement, like the desire to be connected, the desire, desire to have that is in a form of excitement. We're taught, we've talked about hope and how hope is an artifact and, and can travel back in time from this final cause from like fulfilling our purpose, like the ultimate fulfilling of our purpose, the ultimate having been the match that got struck. Intensity, Anna, is another thing that travels back in time as an indication of power, right? So it's this idea that we have this ability to 
to experience intensity or amplification of experience and that that is an indication of a higher higher realm of power and by power it's not like don't think of it as like the corrupted power think of it as like the the exp- the ultimate expression of agency right the ultimate expression of like i am i am everything and i and i have the ability to affect anything and then the other other indicator i feel like is with especially with dimensions around time and karma it like the higher dimension and like expression of those is that you're going to feel a lot of gut instincts you're going to feel a lot of gut like those gut feelings of like that feel like you feel like you're getting pulled and i'm like you're like why am i actually getting pulled right now into a certain direction or why do i get this like inspiration to do this thing synchronicities also another thing that's like traveling back through time from these higher dimensions to indicate to you like that your future self is talking to you so so just to summarize what i said if you have the higher dimension of love, you're going to feel that maybe in the form of pleasure. Or if you have, if if you're not, <laughs> you're not neurodivergent like I am, maybe you have a very tangible sense of what love is. So you're feeling love traveling back through time. If connection is that higher realm, then you are experiencing excitement and the feeling of connection. Again, if you can feel a tangible sense of connection, like I just feel this connection to this person and I don't know why that can be an indicator of this. Of course, these can always be indicators of other things, but, and then we see with purpose or that final cause, we're feeling hope. We're feeling hope coming back to us through the higher dimensions with power. We're feeling intensity and with freedom, we're feeling that kind of gut instinct and that gut pull to do something that feels irrational or inexplicable. And so this relates a lot to what the work that you've done, Anna, with Leanne from the Galela Collective, correct? I think so. So you, you once told me, and, and you once told me that the, the idea that she has of higher realms and six dimensional living is the idea that there's like, there's the, there's a spectrum of connection to disconnection, right? Love to fear mm-hmm. and amplification to what, what, what's the third one? I think it's amplification to constriction. Right. Right. So a very kind of similar idea of like, it, you would say that amplification is that that feeling of intensity, right? So that feeling of power is very similar. The difference, what you once told me is the difference between 5D and 6D is that in 5D, you're seeing it. And in 6D, you're, you're above it. You're like indifferent to it. Like you don't need to be in the middle of it, right? Like it's like in 5D, you can kind of get a perspective and be like, oh, I can see all these dimensions below me. But in 6D, you're like, and I recognize that they're all the same. Like there isn't one that's good or bad. Yeah. Well, so her name is Leanne Rose and her Instagram is I am Leanne Rose. It's that she channels the Galela Collective, which is very similar to Abraham Hicks, except for instead of like manifesting through 5D, you manifest through 6D, which is different that whereas in 5D, you're kind of like, this is how the universe works. This is how I'm going to make it work for me. Whereas in the 60, you're like, I am the universe. So it's totally different. Ah, okay. Okay. Very interesting. Uh, One of the things co-creation versus creation. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. It's uh, with the idea of that, that if you are the universe, then there's the, you're not working against it. You're not having to manipulate it because you are it. Yeah. One of the things I really enjoyed uh, when I was listening to you, even though I haven't worked with her directly, but I follow her on Instagram is her talking about how she talks about some of the higher dimensions and she talks about connection. So similar to what we've been talking about today, connection and intensity or like amplification and constriction. So like that, that kind of spectrum connection and disconnection being another one of those kind of like ranges. And then the final one being love going to fear, which is very similar to what I'm talking about today in terms of like, we have so many teachings so many indications that the higher realms don't like i said they're not spatial realms like we can already sense the 12 spatial realms these are these are things that we can sense so i'm gonna i'm gonna give you guys kind of another explanation of this so as everyone knows we have three dimensions in our spatial reality that we are aware of like i said you could turn that into 12 if you quantize space but we're not going to do that And we're like, well, the fourth dimension is time. And so we're all like, oh, we're sitting as three-dimensional beings and we're able to manipulate 
three dimensions, right? We're able to change things in space, but we are not able to currently manipulate time because it's, we think of it as our watch and our seconds, and we're not able to like make our watches go faster or make our watches go slower or backwards in time. And we can't quote unquote time travel. And so most of us think that we're stuck between the third and fourth dimension in the fact that we're able to manipulate everything below the third, like third and below, and we're only able to perceive time, right? And that's this general idea of what mathematicians say with these dimensional realities is that the ones that you are a master of, so to speak, like the ones that you can control are the ones that you are. Whereas the ones that you can perceive are higher dimensional realities that like are closer to us, but like, Hey, you can't really do it. Right. So using that explanation, you know, you could see the future as, okay, well, if I can perceive love and I can use love as a guide, then, you know, maybe that is a higher dimension, very similar to time. And so there's two really important things that come out of kind of this explanation. One is that I would question whether or not we don't actually have control of time. We, you know, if you read, there's this wonderful book called Einstein's Dreams, and it is a book that is all about relativity. And it's all about a book that that basically says, you know, there's the kind of, I'm going to paraphrase the quote of, you know, relativity is, you know, putting your hand on a hot burner and it feels like a second, but, you know, spending an hour with a love on your bench, on a bench with your, the love of your life on a bench and it feels like a minute you know, we, our perception of time is, is in some ways our ability to, to control and manipulate time. We can also travel back in time through processes, through shadow work processes and arguably affect time because we're able to affect our perception of events by changing them and going back in time. So, you know, one of the things I would like to do is to challenge the fact that we don't actually have the ability to, to kind of control and manipulate time and that all of us are actually probably at a higher dimensional reality than quote unquote science says. And then the second part of this is the fact that these higher dimensions are allies for us, right? They are indicators to us that we are going in the right direction. So think of it as a very similar to Interstellar. At the end of Interstellar, the main character realizes that the helpers that are that put the wormhole in space and that kind of that created this whole, you know, black inner black hole of his daughter's bedroom were actually higher dimensional humans that were coming back to help. They were future humans who understood that the that they needed to get humans off of earth and onto a new planet and so they became higher dimensional beings and thus set up this kind of obstacle course for you know for their past selves to come through so that they could end up coming into being and this idea is what we're talking about when we talk about allies from higher dimensions I'm going to give you guys a couple examples. Like when we don't know what it is that we want to do and we like have two decisions and we're like, I'm just not quite sure what exactly is the right decision. Like, how am I supposed to do this thing? That's when you start to look for these allies, which option feels like it gives you hope. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes our trauma, I'm going to say this, like sometimes our trauma kind of comes into this. It makes it difficult to, 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 to sense these things which is why we're giving you a couple of different options for what these allies are. But when you feel an intensity, right? When you feel hope, when you feel a sense of inexplicable connection, when you feel a sense of love, when you have synchronicities, when things just start to strangely add up and you don't quite know why, this is your higher dimensional aspects letting you know and giving you indicators from those higher dimensions that you are on the right path. Bashar is a, an alien that gets channeled and he talks a lot about how excitement, like follow your excitement, like whatever it is that you're doing, if you follow your excitement, you are going to end up in the right, like you're going to, you're going to end up on the high, best and highest path because excitement is another one of these artifacts that is traveling back through time, so to speak, or it's traveling from a higher dimension to you now that you can use as like a gauge of this is where I'm supposed to go. This is what I'm supposed to do, right? 
And in the opposite favor, anytime you, you feel like completely bored or dull about something, then, you know, that that's, that's like, don't go in that direction. And I know what some of y'all are thinking, like, Hey, this is, I have to live. I have to survive. I have to do whatever. Just imagine that your higher dimensional self who's sending you these signals, like knows that you have to deal with money. It's not like it's, it's completely out of touch with this. Right. And if you learn to trust those things, you may find that, that it solves itself in the ways that you can't even imagine. Like we are sitting here at like with, with such a bad vantage point of being able to see what is the best path for us in our life, or what's the thing that we're supposed to do in our life, or what's the connection we're supposed to make in our life. And if we use these allies to come, you know, as, as we, if we use these allies, then we can really start to understand that, like all of your quote unquote requirements are going to be fulfilled. Like your, your higher dimensional self isn't going to make it so that you're destitute on the street. If that's not aligned with kind of where it is that you're going, if that makes sense, would you, what do you think about that, Anna? I love that. And you helped me so much with that. When you once told me like, follow your inspiration. And I started doing that. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but like, let's say I had five books on the side of my bed and only one of them was calling me and I'm like, but the other four I bought first and I should read the other four. Like I would put these rules on me of like what I should read. I know that's so stupid, but like, that's a dumb, you know, example. That's a great example. And then I'd be (laughs) like, but this is the one I'm feeling called to read. So I was like, fuck it. Even though like logically I shouldn't read this one first Mm -hmm. because I created these rules that I have to read the book I bought first, first, or the book I promised to someone that I would read first, first. I'm like, I'm going to read the one that's calling me. And I'm so glad I would, because that's just how I started picking the books I would read is based on like what I was inspired to read. And then I kind of been carrying it further and like, whatever I feel inspired to do, I've been doing it. And it just makes me so happy. Like gardening is another example. Like I wanted to buy peonies, but peonies are very expensive. And I just was like, really feeling inspired to buy them. I just love them. And I finally, I was like, you know what? I'm going to follow the inspiration. I'm going to go to the nursery and get some peonies. And I walk in and they were all on sale that day. It was like a special sale. And they were like a third of the price. And I was like, the universe is, is rewarding me for following my inspiration. That's so amazing. And now I just, you don't know how much joy my peonies bring me. <laughs> it's so wonderful. And that And that's the thing. I feel like that that is like everything when it comes to you know one of my favorite quotes that i quote all the time is love requires surrender surrender requires choice and i think another word for surrender is is trust and if like what is being asked of us is that we pay attention to these inspirations, to this excitement, to this hope, to this intensity, to this connection, to this feeling of love, to these irrational things, these synchronicities, we pay attention to those things. And then we trust, we surrender to a certain extent, recognizing that the things that are coming back to us from these higher dimensions are not going to lead us astray. Like they just aren't. And it is a terrifying and also amazing journey to start living like that, right? Like, I mean, like you said, like, God, you and your garden, it's like a fucking wonder of wonders. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there are, we didn't even talk about like abundance. Like you could say that probably abundance is, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily one of these artifacts, but it is kind of the scarcity of, of, separation and and kind of dimensional reality in which it feels like you don't have access to things is only because there are walls up, right? Like there are walls up between you and what you want, right? Like whether it's time walls or whether it's like class walls or whether it's like whatever it is, like the experience that we have in our small selves is the experience of being in walls and not being able to get to the thing that we need or not having all that we need because it's, it's away from us. It's separate from us. And then the bigger that we become, the more we start to tap into these higher dimensional allies, the more that we start to completely become so big that the walls are like little tiny ants. And you can just like, they're like ant hills, and you can just like, st- not, I'm not encouraging you to step on ant hills, but use the analogy of, <laughs> no, it's like, they're like ant hills, and you can just step on them, right? You don't have to get caught in their caverns and be like, if I go this way, I get to money. If I go this, that's the abundance mindset. The abundance mindset says, 
It says I can become so big that that the walls are nothing. The walls don't mean anything and everything is coming into me all the time. And if I use these allies as my guides and as my like barometer for how I'm doing, then that's never going to lead me astray. And then suddenly you lead this totally magical life. So, so that's that. Did that's what I want to talk about. Did this information come from channeling or you read a book? This information came from channeling. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah. I thought we were talking about today, the side effects of spirituality. We are doing it right now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just got really into that. So I had to say a bunch of stuff about that. So the thing is, is that as you are connecting to these higher dimensions, especially if you're having these like massive spiritual awakenings, you may find that you are experiencing a intensity of higher dimensions that are making it difficult to still function as a human being in a consensual reality. And so we want to talk about some of these because there are a lot of them that are rampant on, I know we always talk about our favorite platform being TikTok. There are a lot of them that are all over the place. And also that I know that people have experienced in their lives. And it's just like really important that we kind of let you guys know and let you know that it's like really good to try and get support from a spiritual mentor. This is why it's really good to have a Sangha, a community in which you can look. And so that, so that people are able to kind of help you as you go through like an intense Kundalini awakening or one of these more intense spiritual awakenings in which you feel like things may be getting a little bit out of hand in terms of like your ability to handle it. So the first is hypersensitive, like intense experiences, meaning like you are suddenly super sensitive to sound, super sensitive to noise, like all the light is so bright in your light and you're not having a migraine. That is a very good indication of, of what people find during Kundalini awakenings. You could be having like very intense headaches. You could be like, you're, you could be just like, it feels as if almost like you've been downloaded with an operating system and the hardware has not cut up yet. Like you have some sort of download and there is like your physical body is adapting to this, this like surge of power and, and experiences like that. So this is intense experiences relates to the physical and the things that you may experience as a result of physical. And this is, this is what I would kind of correlate more with like when the power in your body, when you have a power surge, right? And so your brain is like, all of a sudden becomes much more hypersensitive than it does normally. This could also be the indication of a neurodivergent burnout of some sort, but it's often the result of a spiritual awakening. So when you're experiencing things like that, it's really good to be gentle on yourself, recognize that hopefully this too will pass as an experience and to just kind of see if you can take a moment to get in a smaller environment, like a smaller environment in the sense of like, put pressure on yourself, like be in the dark, wear sunglasses, all those sorts of things with the hope that it will dissipate in a day or two. And if not, then like, you know, or if you're very worried, obviously seek medical medical help for that since it will be a physical symptom. So that's one. Uh, another one will be spiritual superiority. Like that could be a byproduct, but like, it's not a good byproduct. It's like a byproduct that can get worse and worse. And if yes. you know people in those spiritual circles, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but it's more, it's, it can be like condescending. It's like, oh, well, I've been there, done that kind of thing. And I feel like if your spiritual practice, isn't it making you feel more united and more connected to other people, then something's majorly off. Because yeah. if you're thinking, if you're seeing that your spiritual quote unquote advancement or awakening is somehow making you wiser, smarter, and better than other people, you've drinking some Kool-Aid somewhere. Like that's not, it, it should make you more humble, more connected to others. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you find that you are in a place where you're like, oh, I, I only want to be around awakened people or I've left the matrix you know, because you've left society or something like that. And all those people are still plugged into the matrix, like this whole, like us and them, like always remember what Anna said during the humiliation primal wounds, like we're all on the X axis. Like we are all in a space where we're all on the X axis. It doesn't matter if like some people are in the confines of like being awake or unawake or things along those lines. So you know, in some ways, spiritual superiority, I would, I would almost gather is like, you can feel a lot of power and you can feel a lot of connection to higher dimension, which may be like, I know things that you don't know, 
which means that you are just tapping into this tiny little aspect of the higher dimensions. And you haven't at this point come to the, the humble part, the part in which you're just like, oh my God, I'm a part of this massive universe. And that is a part that is part of higher dimensions. And when you experience that, then you start to realize that your superiority is nothing. Exactly. Number three is spiritual powers as the end game. And this is this idea that the cities are the purpose, right? So cities we've talked about before in the yoga sutras, and it's all about like, I can be in two places at once. I'm telepathic. I can teleport. I can do all these sorts of things. Like you may start to gain otherworldly powers as a result of tapping into these higher dimensions, but they are not the end game y'all. Like they're not the point. Like they, like, again, this goes back to humility. Like anytime you're finding that you're in a place where you feel as if you've reached the promised land because you can teleport between one place and another, like that's really fucking cool, like good work. But you know, there are the, the experience of altruism and and like oneness with all things, you know, is a wonderful place to be in and you're still in a human body. So, you know, you're still experiencing the world as a, as a third slash fourth slash fifth being in a body. And, you know, just be aware of the fact that, that it's not the end game to have the spiritual powers. Number four is sense of inflated purpose. Like I am the chosen one. This is the, I am the chosen one syndrome right? Like I am here because I was chosen to be the only one to come down into earth. And this often shows up as I am incarnate. I'm the only incarnation of Mary Magdalene. And I am here, you know, I, I there's this one woman who was like, do you know how many people I know has said that they reincarnate from Mary Magdalene? Um, it technically the course in miracles says that separation keeps happening. So there wouldn't just be one reincarnation of Mary Magdalene at this point, like this many generations down, it keeps splitting, like the soul keeps splitting, but it's probably not the case that we were all Mary Magdalene in a past life. You know, I love that <laughs> you can be other things and you can, you know, and, and maybe you have a, a deep and wonderful connection. And, and also there's a lot of times that trauma can speak to us because we being unique is a way that justifies people's poor treatment of us. Um, so you are beautiful and unique as you are, and you don't necessarily need to be the chosen one. Number five is unsolicited advice. Unsolicited advice is another one which I'm totally guilty of, and I'm trying not to do it, especially since I've been reading the new book by Matt Kahn, who we're going to be interviewing next month on the show. Um, he wrote a book called All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space. And he talks a lot in the book about how important it is to hold space for others and like just because your spiritual path led you to understand this certain thing more than someone else, like you don't need to bypass their, their, their journey basically by, by shoving down their throat, what they should or shouldn't do. Cause maybe they need to figure it out for themselves or go through their experience without your input. Right. Although I do think that like destiny puts you in their, your path <laughs> maybe. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting one. It's a, I think that, I mean, for years I used to take Vipassana. I mean, I was the fucking most annoying Vipassana proselytizer. I mean, like I was constantly proselytizing Vipassana. I thought it was, <laughs> I, I thought it was like the only thing that you could ever do spiritually, right? Like I was very all or nothing in that sort of thing. And it was so transformative for me. I figured it'd be so transformed. I couldn't, I wouldn't shut up about it. But I can relate because when I first did Vipassana, I was so adamant about my family going and I like wanted them all to go and like, can't, I want you to know how awesome it is and how happy you'll be. And no one freaking went. And then when I stopped talking about it and just practiced it more, my dad actually went and did a course. It, that's, that's the same with me. As soon as I stopped, like my two, like two of my best friends at the time went to a course and I was just like, this is amazing. Like, this is so yeah. incredible. Cause it was like, I just had to stop pushing it. And just like become the change that I like felt as opposed to like being super adamant that everybody had to do this. And number six, getting lost in transcendence. This is the experience of like getting lost in the etheric. I mean, when we say lost, there's a couple of different losts. There's the experience of samadhi in which you can obviously spend days and days in a period of like ex heightened ecstatic bliss 
And you know what? If you're there, like fucking go for it, man. Like don't come out of that just because this is this, that's not a pitfall. Like Samadhi's fucking awesome, right? Not that I can say that I've ever experienced that in this lifetime. Uh, but what I mean is like there's a couple of things. One is that sometimes you can get lost in the collective unconscious, which will feel really scary. You've had that experience. Can you describe getting lost in the collective unconscious? What it feels like? <laughs> it feels like mania. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. feels like you're having all these feelings that don't make any sense. And like, you're just like, kind of there, whether that, you know, and and if you've never had something like that before, that can get really difficult to experience because you're just like, oh my gosh, am I suddenly mentally ill? It's like, no, you may just be having access to this different part of the etheric plane or this different, you've gotten access, you know, you've gotten big and suddenly gotten access and kind of ended up somewhere we didn't necessarily expect, which is why it's really good to like, have an anchor to pull you back into consensual reality and also like disconnect you from all those things that you may have like run into when you kind of went wandering about without a map. And, and then spiritual psychosis in general. So, I mean, spiritual psychosis is the terminology for, for people who basically like, I, I know somebody who, you know, they, they kept having heart attacks over and over again. And, they may, you know, I could see from my perspective that they were having a very transcendent experience in the world and they were getting institutionalized as a result of it because everyone didn't believe them. They should have been dead. They weren't dead. They should have been dead. They don't dead. And then they kind of get a diagnosis of spiritual psychosis, but they're also having a difficulty with like having so many spiritual experiences all at once that they're having trouble connecting back to consensual reality as a result of that. And that's kind of like, it is when I when we say spiritual psychosis, we're obviously talking about a, a form of like an actual diagnosis, but it's the experience of having so many of these things hit you at once that you're finding it very hard to come back into your body and come back into the reality of like, of going to sleep and waking up and going to sleep and waking up and eating and doing all the things that like in, in theory, a physical body needs to do in ancient times or in long ago times, these experiences would have been supported in a spiritual community in, in our current Western medicine idea. Like they're not right. You go to, go to an ayahuasca ceremony and you will see forms of quote unquote spiritual psychosis. And since they are in the, the fine confines of a, of a ceremony, they're acceptable. And it is a safe place because you have practitioners and, and hopefully you have practitioners who are basically pulling you back into your body at the end of the ceremony and you are facilitating that sort of experience. But yeah, so that's that one. And then the last one is instantaneous healing powers. Not saying this doesn't happen, not saying that, I mean, th th it definitely does happen, but just do it within the confines of making sure that it, it that it's an altruistic moment and that you're not hyper inflating your kind of abilities. I feel like in a lot of ways, we're basically saying if you get superpowers, always question them and come back down to earth. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying like, what, is, what am I saying? Anna? what's a better way of saying that? Yeah. And I know someone who was given spontaneous healing powers after some deep spiritual work. And then he suddenly thought he was God and he ended up abusing his power. So, you know, like, or his gift, I should say. So, you know, I just feel like if you think you're enlightened, I think that's dangerous. That's but, a really good point. Thinking you're enlightened and God complex are probably ones that we missed off on this right. list. Right? And then, I, well, I think another one we should mention that wasn't on the list, but it's like losing friends, losing your job, divorce, breakups. Like when you move into different vibrational states, you might find that you no longer vibrate on the same wavelength as others. Not that you're better. It's just you're just diff it's just different now. And, and so some friendships might fall apart, you know, relationships might fall apart. Jobs might fall apart, things like that. Yeah. And that is, those are the really practical 3d ones, which I'm really glad Anna, you remind me of, of, of like, yeah, well, those were actually, we probably could have Christina done is a Pisces, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we probably could have done the whole list on that. Like, this is what it's like to lose your job. This is what, yeah. And that's, and I always kind of think of that as like, you're kind of shaking off the things that because because ultimately it's very similar to like you can always judge where you are by the five people you surround yourself with because it's the field that you're in right now like you can kind of get an indication of who you are based on who you're surrounding yourself with and it's the same thing right like if you have a job that doesn't speak to you or if you have a something like that then 
or, or it's not resonating at the same level, it's not going to be, you know, it's easier to reach up than it is to kind of keep yourself down, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for this episode, Christina. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of TSF. Would you like to do a favor for those who may be similar to you or in the same situation? Then leave us a review on iTunes because that's how people can find us. We really appreciate it and we appreciate you. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.